Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week in our next segment. It's the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. Lots of TV numbers to give you. Gigantic TV numbers from the NBA and from the NFL. Those coming up in our next segment. Then in segments three and four, we're going to have a long conversation with Dan Wetzel. He's with Yahoo Sports. He's the author of the new book, Death to the BCS. Is there a more polarizing topic in sports today? Then the BCS and postseason college football at the Division A level. I don't think so. We're going to talk about the BCS, how much money is being left on the table, and other topics with Dan Wetzel. That's coming up in segments three and four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook. Find the icons on the homepage of sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. I'm joined in studio by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, a guy who's got a good deal going in sports this week. Texas Rangers catcher Benji Molina traded from the San Francisco Giants about three and a half months ago. Molina is going to receive a playoff share from both the Rangers and the Giants. To give you some idea, last year the Yankees championship share $365,000, the Phils $265,000. He gets paid both sides. He also gets a ring win or lose. That's a pretty good deal. I am not mad at that if I am him. I mean, he's just sitting there like, all right, I play ball, get paid from two teams. It's a good way to roll. Yeah, gosh, what an incredible series this is turning out to be. And uh, it's getting great ratings and lots of fans at the ballpark. We'll give you some of those numbers coming up in our headlines next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is SBR. Back with more after this. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio Headlines, brought to you by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the NBA season got underway this week. Lots of business around that. But let's talk first about the epic showdown between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics on TNT opening night. Griggs, tons of anticipation around that game, building up because of the big three from the Miami Heat playing Boston's big three. Well, it was a ratings bonanza. TNT earned a 4.6 U.S. Nielsen rating, 7.4 million viewers for Tuesday night's showdown, the most viewed regular season game on cable TV Ever. Previous high, 7.2 million viewers for the February 2nd, 1996 Bulls-Lakers game, which was Magic Johnson's second game back from retirement. When you're talking those kinds of numbers, there was just such an interest because of the free agency period, big names like LeBron James changing uniforms this offseason. People were very ready for NBA basketball, especially to see the Miami Heat. Yeah, I agree. And it's, I mean, why not tune in? It's basically like an all star game. I mean, you're seeing, you know, half of the league's best players in one game. And like you're saying, first game back, people are pumped to see NBA. And then it's a great, great slate like that. So now it's interesting this week with the NBA because there's all this excitement around the games. TNT, ESPN talking about ads are selling great, season ticket sales are brisk, good business around the NBA. But earlier in the week, NBA Commissioner David Stern comes out and he's talking about how to avoid a work stoppage and that the NBA is trying to find ways to trim salaries by 750 to 800 million dollars. They're going to ask players to take a 33% rollback in salary and he even used the C word this week, contraction. You never hear David Stern speaking in negative terms about his league or the possibility of negative things for his league. I think contraction would be a good thing for the league. But, you know, it takes a little bit of a blow to the ego of the NBA. Hey, things weren't great financially. We had to contract a few teams. There's this elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room is if they don't get a deal done by July 1st, there's going to be a work stoppage. So I think a lot of the enthusiasm for the NBA is tempered by the fact that there could be a work stoppage at the end of this year. And I think Stern really does. He knows something has to be done, You know, using terms like that and a little bit more negativity in saying, to me, that means, hey, this is serious. we got to do something about this to get this to keep the league moving forward. Well, but it's pretty clear that play, the players and the owners are far apart. When you're asking your players to take a 33% rollback in salaries, when you're saying you need to trim the payroll and, and the league cost by 750 to $800 million, that is drastic. So we'll see how this plays out. I think it's going to overshadow some of the good things that happened in the NBA this year because people are going to be talking about the labor situation. One other NBA note, did you see the new LeBron James Nike commercial? Also done by Wyden and Kennedy, Nike's longtime agency. Rise. I thought it was a brilliant spot. The thing that makes Nike and Wyden and Kennedy so clever is they attack issues head on. 
We all know about the criticism that's been levied against LeBron James, rightly so, for making the decision the way he made it. But they addressed many of the criticisms in the spot. I thought it was a clever spot. And uh, if you haven't seen it, go on to YouTube and, and check out LeBron James' rise. I thought it was really well done, Griggs. It was a very well done spot. Uh, LeBron's great. Tons of different scenarios. You'll see him as a kind of an actor, which is part of the, the spot. I don't want to give it all away, but I enjoyed it. Uh, like you said, tackling the issues everybody's talking about, why not hit him on the head? Because it works. It makes it successful. People want to hear it. There you go. I love the Don Johnson cameo. You haven't seen the spot. you got to see the Don Johnson Miami Vice cameo. It was very funny. All right. Our next headline, the NFL. Let's talk about the NFL for a few minutes. ESPN earned a 12.3 overnight rating for Monday Night Football Giants-Cowboys. It was the best Monday Night Football overnight of the season. The night before, and we talked about this last week, how this could be the biggest rating game of the year, NBC earned a 15.4 final Nielsen rating. 25 million viewers tuned in for Vikings and Packers, making it the highest rated and most viewed Sunday night football telecast ever. You know, again, we can say what we want about Brett Favre, but he is a recipe for good ratings for the TV executives. You put him on prime time, Monday night football, Sunday night football. You put him up against his old team, in this case, the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau, and uh, big, big ratings. The question is... Have we seen the last of Brett Favre? Are we going to see Brett Favre this weekend? You know, he's got the off-the-field issues, but now he's got ankle problems. He's got other—he just looks beat up. He looks old. He looks like he can't walk anymore. And you wonder, how much longer can he play? Yeah, I think he should take the first snap Sunday with a crutch under the arm and see what the, the media likes about that. Because, yeah, he just keeps getting destroyed out there. But he's like a kid in a candy store. It's like you can't shut the door on him. He just keeps playing, even with the injuries and everything else going on. Well, and the Vikings have this drama going on now between head coach Brad Childress and Brett Favre. And should he play? Are they on the same page? And, you know, a lot of people have speculated that there was a rift between those two. But uh, if you saw Brad Childress's press conference after the game on Sunday... He pretty much threw Favre under the bus. And Favre in his press conferences uh, seemed like he didn't have a lot of love lost for Brad Childress. So that's going to be something else worth watching. Our next headline, it's the World Series. And it's the Giants and it's the Rangers. And I, for one, am happy to see some new teams in the World Series. The Rangers never have been in the World Series. They hadn't even won a postseason matchup until this year. Giants, first time in the World Series since 2002, and we talk all the time on this show how many teams budget for the regular season, they don't budget for the postseason. Postseason is the icing on the cake, and it is oftentimes the difference between a team making money, losing money, or breaking even. Let's look at the case of the San Francisco Giants. They were going to lose 4 to $5 million before their playoff run began this according to the San Francisco Chronicle. But they stand to end the year $7 million to $10 million in the black because of the playoffs and because of making it to the World Series. So this is a perfect example, Griggs. I'm sure it's the same for the Rangers, where you know you budget a certain way for the regular season, and if you can just get to the postseason, it can be worth millions of dollars to your bottom line. Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a fun series, like I said too, with different teams. And I agree, you know, I mean, they budget that way, and then they get into the postseason, and, and it's a whole other ball game. I mean, it's great. Wednesday night, the Cliff Lee Tim Lincecum showdown. Boy, 
I thought it was going to be a pitcher's duel. It was 11-7. to Lots of scoring and uh, didn't turn out as many people thought, but the attendance, fantastic. 43,601, a World Series record at AT&T Park. 445 people shy of the best ever mark for the 10-year-old ballpark. And all kinds of celebrities in attendance. Barry Bonds was there. Red Sox chair Tom Warner. 49er Hall of Famers Joe Montana and Steve Young. Even Journey lead singer Steve Perry, who was shown singing the band's hit Lights as it was played over the PA in the eighth inning. These are things, you know, when you get to the World Series, when you get to the the biggest stage of your league's postseason, all the stars come out, people come out in force, and again, you know, it's great for your brand. And then what's happening now with the Giants and the Rangers is they're leveraging their postseason success to get people on board with season tickets for next year. Each team growing their season ticket base because they're basically saying, if you want tickets to the World Series, you got to put a deposit down on season tickets for next year, and because people want to come to the World Series so badly, they're doing it. Yeah, it was a great crowd on TV. Loved the Journey singer singing the Journey song. That is classic. And and the guy that found the video, man, give him some kind of an award because that's awesome. I love it. Now, here are some of the challenges that Fox faces by having the Rangers and the Giants, not enormous media markets, in the World Series. First of all, There's 3 million viewers in New York that aren't going to see this because it's on Fox. And there's still the dispute with Cablevision. Second of all, Sunday's Game 4 is going to go head-to-head with the Steelers Saints on Sunday Night Football. It has been shown time and time again that NFL ratings crush Major League Baseball postseason ratings. I expect that to be the case again on Sunday. Then if there's a Game 5, they're going to be up against ESPN's Texans-Colts Monday Night Football telecast, which is also a good game. We gave you the numbers just a few minutes ago from last weekend's Sunday Night and Monday Night Football games. So, tough task for Fox with Major League Baseball, but we'll see how it all plays out. Another quick NFL note, the Broncos and 49ers are going to be going to London to play a game there. They're expected to play before a crowd of 80,000 people. Griggs, these two teams are a combined 3-11. and I think the NFL may just ship them to London and tell them to stay there. They're playing so poorly. Yeah, that's a good plan because uh, London will love it, and then we don't have to worry with them. They are really bad, and I'm sure in the midst of a, a putrid season, the Broncos lost 59-14 to to the Raiders last week. I'm sure just what they want to do is get on a plane for a long trip to London. Last headline of the week, we had Mark Emmert from the NCAA on last week, the new president. Well, graduation rates have risen 69%, according to a study this week. Also, the NCAA has promoted Director of Enforcement Julie Rowe Locke to VP of Enforcement, replacing David Price who is retiring in December. We talked about enforcement and the NCAA ramping up their enforcement efforts. I think that's step one. All right, coming up next, Dan Wetzel. He's the co-author of the new book, Death to the BCS. He's a columnist for Yahoo Sports. The BCS, very controversial. We're going to break it down with Dan Wetzel from Yahoo Sports next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this.
Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Dan Wetzel. He's the co-author of a really fantastic new book out called Death to the BCS. Dan, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Hey, thanks, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great. I, I found your book fascinating on so many different levels. I am not at all a fan of the BCS. I've been talking on this show for the last several years about how there needs to be a playoff. I like your book for a variety of reasons, but one is you don't just rip on the system. You actually have fixes for the system, suggestions for, for how to fix it. But I want to start off by talking about, you call it the cartel, the bowl directors, uh, some of the other people that are involved in the cartel. Those are the people, the, the conference commissioners, that are kind of the obstacles to the system changing. Talk about them a little bit, if you would. Well, they, they run the BCS. Um, what what a lot of people don't understand is the NCAA has nothing to do with the BCS. It does not uh, run or have anything to do with the postseason in, in Division One A football. And uh, it's always – every NCAA president talks about how they always get this hate mail about how they're screwing it up with the BCS. They don't have anything to do with it. So part of it is just a device to lump the people together and say, all right, this is who runs it. There's conference commissioners. Um, there's bowl directors. And they're in charge. And, you know, at the same time that they're in charge and they're the, I guess, the obstacles, a number of them have proposed different changes and, and they're open to change, others less open. Kind of one of the big issues is you have a group of people opposed to a, a strong central authority that you would have in, in, in a Roger Goodell in the NFL or David Stern in the NBA. Yeah, you've got these bowl directors who, you know, in your book you outline these people are making hundreds of thousands of dollars. The bowls are calling themselves nonprofits, which is interesting. But one of the more interesting things I think you expose in the book is that the universities we hear about, oh, you know, it's seventeen and a half million dollars for a payout to a BCS bowl game or eighteen million dollars. And one of the stories you tell is two thousand ten Florida plays for the national championship and after expenses they clear forty seven thousand dollars. No one's talking about that story. No, it, you know, it, it, the, the payouts get trumped loudly, and the expenses are never discussed. Um, but it, bowl games are interesting businesses. Uh, they, have a great, they have a great thing going on, and I applaud them for coming up with this stuff. Uh, but, you know, it, when, when, the, you know when the Indianapolis Colts are, go, go, play at the, go play a playoff game the, to the Super Bowl, the NFL is picking that up. In this case, uh, if you go to play at a bowl game, you pay for all your travel. 
pay for all your players to stay at the hotel for food, your, your administration, your cheerleaders, your band, tickets so your band can get into the game so then they can play free for the halftime show. And, and they're literally contracted for seven or eight nights sometimes uh, in these cities. So the expenses of going to a bowl game are considerable. Uh, and then, moreover, they ask to, to, to agree to go to a bowl game, a university has to buy a block of tickets. It can be up to 17,500 tickets. And then they're supposed to sell them to their boosters. Well, that was a practice that worked pretty good uh, 15 years ago when if you were an Iowa fan and you were going to go to the Citrus Bowl, you really didn't know how to get tickets anyway, so you'd go through the school. Well, now everyone gets online and buys the tickets for far cheaper because almost none of these games sell out. So the schools found themselves increasingly on the hook for, for basically buying empty seats at the stadium. Uh, and so it's a, it, it, there's a lot of things that go into going to a bowl game. You don't, you don't just show up and get your $17.5 million. And then the other thing they do is because some of these games don't pay much at all, um, you know, 750000 and you might spend a million five going to the game, the conferences pool all of their, their, uh, their bowl payouts and cover the losses of the other teams. So as, as such... Someone making 17.5 like Florida uh, really is only getting a, a, about two point. I think it was like 2.6 million or something like that uh, to to spend on their bowl trip, and they ended up spending it all for the title game and walked with 47 grand. So it's the way the money gets spent and the way these schools decide uh, to use their money, which is up to them, obviously. Uh, they, they really the payouts and the, the actual money changes greatly. Well, you give an example in the book, I believe it's Ohio State that loses a few million dollars because they couldn't sell their allotment of tickets to a bowl game. Virginia Tech. Yeah, Virginia Tech and the ACC spent $1.77 million on unsold tickets one year in 2009. Uh, there's often a uh, million dollars. The, the games don't sell out. And so you got you can buy a ticket if you're a fan for $125 through the school, or you can buy them online for 20 well, you know, most people are gonna are gonna go online, so it's hard to sell those tickets at full price. So the ticket guarantee is a uh, it's a, a very well negotiated uh, spot for by the uh, the bowl games. We're joined by Dan Wetzel. He's the co-author of Death to the BCS. You can follow him on Twitter, at Dan Wetzel. Dan, so it also talks about in the book how a playoff system would generate about four times as much money as the current BCS system. And you also talk about in the book how it's no secret. I talked to President Mark Emmert of the NCAA last week. Conferences are losing money. Schools are losing money. If there's that much money on the table that's there for the taking, why is this not getting done? You know, I think there's a lack of central leadership. Um, there's, there's, you, you just have too many people with, are going with their own interests. And, and at the same time, I think we're just really in an era of transition. College athletics moves very slowly. Uh, you have 120 teams here. You have well over 1,000 members of the NCAA. There's all sorts of politics. These, these teams and ADs and commissioners are built to compete against each other, not only on the field, but for TV dollars and all that. And, and things take time. And, and I, I really believe that you'll look back in 20 years and, and say, wow, I can't believe we, we had that. It really wasn't that long ago that college football was a regional pursuit. And it, and it kind of got to the late 80s and, and certainly through the 90s when it became very much more national. And that's what drove the BCS to even be created. And the beast, you know, for for decades, nobody really cared who was number one. I mean, they just the poll would vote it, and 
there was a time when bowl games, the polls would come out, the final poll would come out before the bowl game. You got into the 90s, and, and all of a sudden there was this demand. They, they've responded with the BCS, which I, I'm not a fan. You know, I think it's just past its prime, but it was better at the time. But as the game has continued to develop nationally and the expenses have gone up, it, it's just time to continue to, to, to move forward, and that's why I think it will. Dan, I want to play a quick clip. NCAA President Mark Emmert was on this show last week. When I asked him about the BCS, here was his answer. The decisions about the postseason and football are made at the local institutional level. Individual presidents and the conferences uh, have decided long ago that they wanted to play through the, uh, through the bowl system. You know, we've never had a championship in Division I football uh, and there's, a, as you know, of course, a deep commitment to those relationships with those bowls. Uh, student athletes like the participation in the bowls. They all like the opportunity to play in the postseason. The NCAA hasn't had a, um, you know, the same relationship with football as it has with other sports for 20 or 30 years. And so every year we come up to this time of the season and we start looking at the BCS rankings and everybody gets anxious about it. Uh, there's a couple of good things that happen. One is we're all talking about college football. That's not, <laughs> that's not inherently bad. Right. Uh, and, and secondly, you know, it, it provides a lot of attention to who's winning and who's not around the, uh, around the conferences, and I think that's good. Our position, my position at the NCAA, is that this is going to be a decision that presidents are going to have to make. The NCAA, uh, we, we know how to run championships. We run 88 of them, and if they want us to help them with some new structure, we're more than happy to do so. But the decisions to work through those bowl games weren't the NCAAs. That was something that was established by individual universities and conferences long ago. Dan, listening to that clip, I talked to Mark Emmert last week. I talked to the late Dr. Miles Brand. I've talked to Bill Hancock, the executive director of the BCS. Every single one of them puts this back on the laps of the university presidents. The reason why I think this may never change is because I don't think all the university presidents can come to a consensus on anything. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think that's one of the issues. Like I said earlier, I think there's no central leadership, and, and so you're not... You're not having Roger Goodell say, hey, look, guys, this is what we have to do. Uh, and that's certainly, a, you know, a hindrance. You have a lot of different, uh, just a lot of different positions and, and people coming from different positions on this thing. So common sense says we can do better. Now, whatever your, your proposed playoff is or whatever your new postseason, I mean, it, we can do better than this. They can make more money and all of that. But it, it's been a slow process getting there. This college sports moves very, very slowly. And, um I think increasingly the money is going to what drive it. You know, it's not they're not going to change the system because somebody wants to be nice to Boise State. In the end, this is America, and only one thing changes it, and that's money. And I think eventually that's what you see. You see like Cal Berkeley dropping sports, and you so much you know hundreds of eight hundred million in student fees being used to prop up athletics. There's definitely a, a you know a growing trend that that, that would catch the attention of presidents. We always talk about the success of the NCAA men's basketball championships and how much money that drives. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And as you point out in the book, there's no other sports entity in America that contracts out its most profitable property. But that's what the NCAA does with postseason football. It makes absolutely zero sense. It's, I don't know of another business that outsources its most profitable product. I mean, the most attractive thing they have to sell is postseason football, and they're letting bowl directors basically operate the system. And, and, they, and at a bowl game, 
you know, even the payouts that are, you know, the payouts come in, but the, the, the bowl, the bowl committee will take 50, 60% off and right off the top. And so you're letting somebody move in. I mean, under no circumstance would the NFL ever let somebody else run the NFC championship game. It's going to run the NFC championship game. It's going to play it in its stadium. It's going to get the TV dollars. It's going to, you know, you don't just let somebody come in on your, your best stuff and say, oh, I'll take half of that. More of my conversation with Dan Wetzel, co-author of Death to the BCS, coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, We'll help you practice your new skills, and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Now back to my conversation with Dan Wetzel. Uh, but, that, you know, it's just you couldn't invent this system. You, you just simply couldn't invent the, the bowl games coming up. And, 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 and you know, the, there's so much money in them now. The bowl games keep growing because you see now you have 35 games because people around the country have realized if I can start a bowl game, I'm going to make good money. Yeah, the other thing that's puzzling, too, and you talk about this in the book, is there's playoff systems in the other levels of yeah. college football. There's a playoff system for men's basketball why don't you just replicate that the ncaa has enough manpower to run those levels of playoffs but they can't seem to figure it out with ncaa division one men's football oh i mean yeah they act like it's impossible to figure out i mean the one double a system works fine um and you play it on campus for three rounds and even if you want to have a smaller one in, in division one a to start you know you play first two rounds on campus you bring the campus environment back in you leave the money on campus, the campus towns, instead of, you know, some of the other places you travel to. Um, it's, it's really simple. You know, they just, they, they want it to sound hard. And, and it's it, it kind of part of what motivated us to write the book was just the, the obstruction and the, the, the silly arguments. I mean, you'd say, well, if we have a playoff, college football will be like college basketball and no one will care about the regular season. Well, Nobody compares the NFL regular season and the NBA regular season. It's two different sports. Just because they're college at the front and the, guy, the guys don't get paid, there's no similarity. It's, it's things like that. that just, they just invent kind of these arguments that, that are just mostly red herrings. Um, they could do it. It, it. It's really just a matter of, of when. You know, four years or two years ago, the SEC and the ACC, with the backing of their presidents, tried to, tried to create a plus one. It's basically a four-team playoff using the Bulls. You know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of that system, but I don't think it solves all your problems, but it's better than what we have. And, you know, they presented it, and it got turned down. Um, but it's the idea that 
all of them are against it just isn't true. I mean, that's two leagues. You know, what if next time in the smaller leagues are all going to do whatever they whatever they can? So, well, you know, what if what if a couple more leagues flip? Could could you do it then? So, as much as it's hard to get 120 going, it's really getting the right ones in the right spots. We're joined by Dan Wetzel. He's a co-author of the new book, Death to the BCS. Great read in bookstores now, Amazon.com. Dan, let's talk about your plan for the playoffs. You suggested a 16-team playoff. Looks like 11 conference champions would receive bids, then five at-large bids. Talk to us about why this system, your proposed plan, works. Uh, It's obviously the most ambitious, ambitious one, so... Uh, and I know politically it's not doable at this point, but this is why we think it's the best one. A, it does two things. Staging a playoff is, is a business, and it's more than just deciding, settling it on the field. And, and so it does two things that keep the regular season uh, extremely valuable and would actually drive up interest in the, in the regular season. It would help the whole sport. By letting all 11 conference champions in, you, you – you provide access to, to all the teams. You allow Cinderella to exist, even if it's just a first-round matchup. And, and by bringing in, you know, three or four weaker teams that really don't have any crack at being, winning the championship, you, you provide value to being the one, two, three, or four seed. Uh, so there's, there's incentive in the regular season to get there. Then when you play the games on campus, the home field is so significant, it again creates incentive for the regular season to matter. If you just took 16 teams or eight teams and went one through eight and put them out in a, a neutral site, then there's no difference between being the one and the 16 or the two and the and two and the seven. I mean, it's, there's no advantage. So then it's why why you've lost some incentive to that regular season. You want to keep the great regular season in college football um, while opening up, you know, and then you, you get you get a long a little longer playoff to build momentum. The TV people love it. If there's ever an East Carolina beats an Alabama, you know, the sport just booms in popularity. You know, we've seen that in the basketball tournament that even kind of obscure Butler or Stephen Curry, single players even can just become huge overnight stars. So it's it's about doing a lot of different things. Um, but, I, again, I'm in favor of just about any progress. And I understand overnight no one's waving a magic wand and getting 16 in there. And with the 16 team, you point out in the book, again, this is – worth $750 million, uh, four times as much as what the current BCS system is getting. So each team is getting about $25 million. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, we did a, we, we did pretty exhaustive estimates with all sorts of different TV people and ticket people and marketing. You know, you'd have your conference, you know, your quarterfinal games sponsored by FedEx, those types of things. Um, and you got to the 750 number. You know, you really... You don't have to let the NCA run it. You can have someone else run it, and and you know just roughly we don't know all the costs, but uh, it's hard to find out all the costs. But roughly, you would have a, a, a share. You could share the revenue every time a team kicks off. Their conference gets twenty five million dollars, uh, and then you would be able to you know use the money any way you want. So the money, even if we ran a, you know the last couple of years, you just play it out, assuming no no favorites lose. The big six conferences, which are getting in, you know, 82 percent of the money now, would still be getting about 77 percent of the money, 76, depending on the success. But the the pie would grow enormously. So there's just a tremendous amount of money on the table, uh, probably four or five hundred million more dollars in, in real numbers uh, for 
for college football if they wanted to go to this level. Now, if they go to a plus one, they go to an eight team, you know, as they come along, they won't get to that number, but there's a lot more. There's money out there, no question. Well, and I like that the bowl system is still somewhat intact, even though I'm not a big right. fan of the bowl system. But then I really like that the universities have the opportunity to host the playoff games. As you point out in the book, there's some great atmospheres in college football that we seem to also leave on the table during the postseason. And I think that's part of what would make this postseason, as you've pointed it out, uh, to be more successful. Yeah, we'd keep the bowls. Uh, bowl games are mostly subsidized. And, and so, really, the, their existence is based solely on how much college athletics wants to subsidize them. I mean, these smaller bowls would not exist. They're, they're money losers. But the, the, the conferences and the teams have decided we will spend our money, we will lose money going to these games, and we want this thing propped up. Well, that's fine. That's their money. But what's the, 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 the thing they do is then claim that these games operate in a straight capitalistic manner. And, and market forces that drive them out of business. Well, no, you're either subsidized or you're not. They can, they can subsidize it to 100% if they want. So the bowl games would, would stay. You'd have plenty of opportunities, I mean, you know, to, to, for, for the seven and five teams and your Chick-fil-A bowl. There's a lot of fun bowls. I love bowl games, so I don't, I don't really want to see them go. If two teams want to play, go for it. You know, I'm, I'm good with that. But I definitely like bringing it, getting them out of the championship. They really have nothing to do with the championship now. There's only one game, and it's it's a. It's not even technically a bowl game, so the other ones really aren't involved anyway. Uh, the Orange Bowl doesn't have anything to do with the title game anymore. Um, and then you would you would be able to play this thing on campus, which I just think is great. I, I cover college football. I go to a lot of games. The atmosphere, the environments, they're awesome. I mean, campus is beautiful. The stadiums are opulent. The pageantry. The everyone who's been to college football knows that. Yet they take their playoffs and move them out of the horseshoe and Brian Denny and the Coliseum and, you know, Camp Randall, and they put them in these often antiseptic pro stadiums or these kind of old municipal stadiums, and it just doesn't make any sense. And the crowds are very rarely even sold out. And, you know, the idea of a, of a Final Four where Florida's playing at Ohio State and then right after you got, you know, Oklahoma traveling to Oregon or something, you know, you just – on campus, it would just be such a huge event and be so exciting. You know, TV plays a big factor in this, too. Obviously, ESPN now has the rights to the BCS games. What do they have to do to, uh, I guess, promote change? And how much do they have to be willing to come to the table for this system to get changed? Because it seems like if they're not on board with change, then it also won't be changed. Yeah, you know, I don't know. what I mean, they, I think they, they're, they're in business again in big ratings, and big ratings are going to come through through a, a, a playoff. I mean, other than the title game and the Rose Bowl, they, they really, bowl games don't do tremendous ratings. I think the Orange Bowl last year did a 6.8 in prime time for Fox. Got, you know, lost the night by far to everybody. You know, the Rose Bowl will do about an 11 uh, with that great five, five Eastern prime slot and, you know, really always has this huge Midwestern team in it. And, and then the championship game last year, probably as good as the championship game as you're going to get for TV, Alabama, Texas, at a 17-2. Well, almost every week the NFL's got a regular season primetime game that does better than those numbers. And, and every single playoff game in the NFL does way better. You got, you know, second round and conference championship game, or, you know, a comp, uh, yeah, the NFC championship will do, you know, high 30s. So the TV numbers are way bigger on a playoff because of just the, the ability for it to build off itself that you're not getting with a one-and-done 
uh, bowl system. So, you know, I, I, I don't know what – not my job to pressure ESPN or whatever, but I, I would suspect that uh, given the opportunity, they'll be, they would jump at a playoff because they would be able to get much higher rating. Last question for you. Because there is no Roger Goodell or David Stern, whose job is it? if anyone's, to go and educate the university presidents about, okay, here's the system as it exists now, but here's what could be done if there was a playoff system? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And that, that person, as far as I know, doesn't exist. <laughs> and, uh, I think that's one of the things. You don't have two sides of this debate. We just tried to write a book that says, look, here's the other side. This is what we found, the finances. Here's, this is why the the polls don't work. This is why the computers don't work. This is how the game. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. A lot of football in there, and this is how recruiting trends have changed. So many factors on this, um, but I, there isn't. There, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess when Mike Slive, a very powerful commissioner of the SEC, and John Swafford at the ACC, and the president of Florida and Florida State and Georgia, and those places are are pushing for the plus one that they thought was politically doable, they're doing part of that educating. So it's going to have to come from within because there isn't, there just isn't an outside group, you know, that's, that that is going to do that. Fascinating topic. I don't know if there's a more polarizing topic in sports right now than the BCS. Dan Wetzel, the co-author of the book Death to the BCS, find him on Twitter at Dan Wetzel. Get the book in bookstores now or at Amazon.com. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. I feel like we could talk about this for 10 hours, but we only have a certain amount of time. Maybe we'll have you on again. Thanks for having me on. It was a great, great conversation. I always like the business talk. Thanks, Dan. You take care. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SB Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. To Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Well, obviously, we talk about money on this show, and one of the lists that I keep my eye on annually, I don't know why, maybe I'm just sick and twisted, is Forbes's top earning dead celebrities list, Griggs. And Michael Jackson tops the list this year. He's been dead for a little over a year. His estate has brought in a whopping $275 million over the last 12 months. Now, to put this in perspective, that's more than the combined earnings of superstars Lady Gaga, Beyonce, Jay-Z, and Madonna, and more than any living artist or group for that matter. That's a lot of money. Now, you know, he had the movie This Is It, 
and that brought in $250 million. But then his music has become more popular because a lot of people like myself went on to iTunes and purchased his songs after he died. So, you know, they have the saying, better off dead. He's making a lot of money deceased. Is that a bad sign if you're making more money when you're dead than when you're actually doing what you were doing? <laughs> it is, because you want to enjoy it while you're here. Now, rounding out the list, Elvis Presley, who usually tops this list, $60 million. Author J.R.R. Tolkien, $50 million. I guess he's from Lord of the Rings fame. Peanuts cartoonist, Charles M. Schultz, $33 million. John Lennon, $17 million. Author Stieg Larsson, $15 million. Dr. Seuss, $11 million. Albert Einstein's estate, $10 million. Newly deceased New York Yankees owner George Steinbrenner, $8 million. Songwriter Richard Rogers, $7 million. Jimi Hendrix, $6 million. Steve McQueen, $6 million. And Aaron Spelling, $5 million. That's the list. Interesting list. Lots of thank yous on the show this week. I want to thank Dan Wetzel from Yahoo Sports and the co-author of the book Death to the BCS. Pick it up. It's a great read. I want to thank our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. Also want to thank our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the iTunes podcast icon. I'm on Twitter, at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.